Wonderful time of worship there. Won't you take your seats? And as you do so, you can turn with me so long to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Um, can I just say again, welcome to everyone joining us today. If you are outside Durban, if you're somewhere else in South Africa or you're somewhere else in the world, why don't you let us know on Facebook? We'd love to know who's joining us today. And uh, if you're in a man's total, you can just put an amen on Facebook. Wonderful. All right. You can see uh, in this beautiful pulpit we've crafted from Laurie's occupational therapy blocks. I'm really good to go. I might even bring this back to church with me when we meet again. All right. Here we go. John chapter 12. Now, before we talk about this and read the passage, let's look at some background. Last Sunday, we looked at the incredible miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus to life. Remember, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And uh, this miracle was like, it seemed like a shockwave from that little town of Bethany to Jerusalem, two miles away. And of course, there were many Jews who believed, but the religious leaders, when they heard about this, they were threatened. They, it was kind of like the final straw for them because they'd seen Jesus as a threat, but now they thought there was a real danger of the Romans coming in, as more and more people believed, the Romans coming in to take away their nation and their temple. If you read between the lines, for these religious leaders, it was more about them losing their power. And so they resolved that they had to kill Jesus. They plotted to kill him. So that was the one group. But then you had many other Jews in Jerusalem. There was like this buzz in the city because they'd heard about what had happened to Lazarus and they were wondering, would Jesus come through to the Passover festival? So this is kind of the background, what's happening in the city of Jerusalem. And now let's read John chapter 12, verses 12 to 24. John 12, verses 12 to 24. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey in sacrament, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, they realized these things had been written about him, and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Friends, for me in this story, there are at least two great tragedies. The first is the one that we know very well. Many of these people who were hailing Jesus as king were just a few days later turned and joined in the cry for him to be crucified. The second tragedy for me is this, is that on that day many people saw Jesus, but they didn't really see him. I'm playing with words here, but the title of my message today is Seeing Jesus. And this is the thing is that though many people saw him with their eyes, they didn't discern him. They didn't recognize who he truly was and why he was really there. Now, to, to open this up some more, we're going to look at the different groups who were in Jerusalem on that day. And we're going to begin with those closest to Jesus, his very own disciples. All right, so we mustn't forget that Jesus had been preparing them for what was going to happen. In fact, 
Uh, in Matthew 17, we read of an occasion where the disciples were distressed when Jesus told them what was going to happen. And while they were journeying to Jerusalem, we read this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. How much more accurate a description could you get than that? It was amazing. Jesus gave them this description in advance. So here's the thing, friends. As the disciples were journeying towards the city, there was probably some fear and trepidation in their hearts. They were probably expecting the worst. In fact, last Sunday, as we looked at the story of Lazarus, when Jesus decided to go down to Judea to then raise Lazarus to life, remember the disciples were posted. They said, you can't go there. They're going to want to kill you. And uh, Thomas was the one who said, well, let's just go with them and die anyway, kind of thing. So they were probably expecting the worst. But then they come into the city and there's this fanfare, there's this noise, this celebration as Jesus enters. And remember, there was a multitude of people around there. Going back to Josephus, who was a first century uh, Jewish historian, he wrote about a Passover about 30 years later, and he estimated that there were about two and a half million people present in Jerusalem for the Passover. Wow. Now, some people might dispute that figure, but the point is there were probably hundreds of thousands of people in and around the city of Jerusalem there for the Passover. And so many of these people were hailing Jesus as king, shouting his praises, throwing their palm branches before him. I wonder, friends, John 12 doesn't say anything about this, but I wonder if in the disciples' hearts there wasn't something like this. They were thinking, Jesus, you're always right, but perhaps this once you've got something wrong. You've misread the room, Jesus. These people aren't here to kill you. They want to make you their king. Wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. Okay? As they came in, friends, perhaps they either forgot about or pushed aside or even thought that Jesus' gloomy predictions might have been wrong. Okay, John uh, uh, verse 16 of our passage tells us that they didn't understand what was happening until after Jesus had been glorified. They were probably dreaming grandiose dreams. And I believe that's true because in Luke's gospel account, at the Last Supper, we find these disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So friends, those closest to Jesus, as they came into that city, even they perhaps put aside what Jesus was there for. They, they kind of in the moment forgot it or maybe even thought he got it wrong. And even they probably misunderstood and didn't recognize why he was re- truly there. Okay, that's the disciples. Let's have a look at the crowds of people. And, and to note first that there were two crowds. Firstly, we had the great crowd that's mentioned. These were the people who obviously lived in Jerusalem and those pilgrims who were there for the Passover festival. As I already said, this was a large group of people. And in chapter 11, we find them being on the lookout. There's a buzz in the city after they hear about Lazarus being raised to life. And so they're on the lookout. They are waiting to see if Jesus is going to come. And so when they hear that he's on his way, they go out to meet him. That's the first crowd. The second crowd are those traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem. Many of these people would have been those who witnessed him raising Lazarus to life. So they're spreading the word as they go. These are the two crowds. Now, to what could we compare this big cheering celebration. I was thinking about the trophy tour that our victorious box went on last year after winning the Rugby World Cup. Hey? Something like that. And just on that note, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm really, really missing out on watching some live sport. I'd love to watch a live rugby match right now. You can hit amen if you agree. Just don't take your eyes off Jesus. Okay. All right. But this was a big deal, friends. It really was. 
Warren Wesby notes that this is the one time that Jesus allowed this big public demonstration where he actually allowed people to hail him as king like this. This really was quite an amazing thing. Now, what was the big deal about the palm branches? Okay, C.G. Cruz writes this. He says, palm branches were also used as symbols of victory and kingship. By meeting Jesus with palm branches, the crowd showed they were welcoming him as king. Okay, the shouts of the people in verse 13 were pretty amazing too. Hosanna comes to be an expression of praise for us. We include that word in our songs of praise. But quite literally in Hebrew, it means help or save us. So these people were almost crying out to Jesus, save us. They didn't understand the full implications of what they were shouting, but we do. It becomes a prophetic shout for us. Then we read that they say that expression, blessed is he who comes. Okay, that's actually a messianic declaration. So they were hailing him as a Messiah, as the Messiah, you could even say. And then the final one, well, that couldn't be any clearer. Blessed is the king of Israel. They were hailing him as king of Israel. Now, here's the thing. Here's the irony. They were right and they were wrong at the same time. They were quite right that Jesus was indeed king over Israel. But what was wrong was their picture of who Jesus was as king. You see, their picture of a, of a Messiah was a, a nationalistic one, okay? A one that was driven by their desire to be free of Roman rule. So they pictured a military Messiah who would come in, sweeping in, knock the Romans out, get them out of Israel, restore Israel to its former glory. Okay, that was kind of what they were hoping for and expecting. Okay, but Jesus hadn't come into Jerusalem to overthrow the Romans. He'd come there to surrender his life to them, to suffer and die at the hands of the Romans. And Jesus' kingdom wouldn't be restricted to Israel. His kingdom would extend to all nations of the earth. Okay, the sad thing, friends, is that notwithstanding all their zeal and their passion, so many of these guys, these men and women in the crowds, never actually came to believe. And um, we know that many did. Obviously, many of the Jews had come to faith after witnessing Lazarus being raised to life. But we read this just a little later in John chapter 12 and verse 37. We read, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Okay? Notwithstanding the amazing miracle of Lazarus being resurrected from the grave and a whole lot of other signs besides that, it still wasn't enough. There seemed to be this craving, this constant desire of the Jewish people to keep on seeing more and more signs. And when it reached a point where they just weren't satisfied enough, they wouldn't come to fully believe in Jesus. When he turned out, when it became clear that he wasn't going to be the political Messiah that they were waiting for. Well, then they were more than happy to turn and to add their cross to those of the religious leaders who were calling for Jesus to be executed. Now, on a positive note, I do like to believe that many of those doubters later came to faith in Jesus. For example, after Pentecost, when the gospel was preached, on that day, 3,000 about were added to the number of believers. And there were other occasions like that in Jerusalem. So I'd like to believe that some of these people's eyes were later opened to recognize who Jesus was and later to come to faith. All right, so those are the two crowds. Then we move on to the Romans, okay? How about the Roman soldiers? What about them in the city of Jerusalem? They're not mentioned in this passage, but you better believe those guys were watching, okay? The Roman soldiers had to deal with a number of violent uprisings in and around Jerusalem over the years. And as they see this great commotion, this uproar in the city, I can picture some of them getting a little bit edgy, you know, just getting those weapons sort of ready, maybe bracing themselves for a fight, all right? But there's something else that we can associate with Rome, and that's pride, okay? 
These were a proud people. The Roman Empire was a vast, vast empire. Many conquests and many victories. And I wonder kind of what some of those Roman soldiers felt as they watched this Jewish procession coming past, especially as they compared it to one of their Roman victory processions or Roman triumphs. So Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, Whenever a Roman general was victorious on foreign soil, killing at least 5,000 of the enemy and gaining new territory, he was given a Roman triumph when he returned to the city. It was the Roman equivalent of the American ticker tape parade, only with much more splendor. The victor would be permitted to display the trophies he had won and the enemy soldiers, enemy leaders he had captured. The parade ended at the arena where some of the captors entertained the people by fighting wild beasts. Compared to a Roman triumph, our Lord's entry into Jerusalem was nothing. Okay? So again, it was big for Jerusalem, big by Jerusalem standards. But compared to a Roman triumph, it didn't amount to anywhere near the same thing. And you can almost wonder, perhaps some of the pride in the hearts of these soldiers as they watch this procession coming by and thinking, this is nothing like one of our victory processions. Look at this king. He's riding on a donkey. Come on. One of our victorious generals will be riding on the best horse available. So there's a real sense here that the Romans could have quite literally been looking down on Jesus, looking down on this Jewish procession that was making its way through the streets of the city. Let's have a look next at the religious leaders. Now, here is a group that we know were not happy to see Jesus coming in. And yet some of the leaders in Jerusalem did believe, okay, but there was a problem. Let's have a look at John chapter 12, verses 42 to 43. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Therein lay the problem for these leaders. They were more man-focused than God-focused, more worried about the praise of man than the praise of God. And it's such a great tragedy, friends, that these men were the shepherds of Israel. They should have been the ones preaching the word of God that could discern the signs, that could recognize this is the long-awaited Messiah and could have been leading the people towards Jesus instead of trying to turn them around against Jesus Christ. We've already said they saw Jesus as a threat to their establishment, worried about what the Romans would do. And so they plotted, instead of leading people to Jesus, they plotted instead to remove him and to kill him. All right. Although some of them secretly believed, the majority on that day weren't happy to see Jesus. More than just misunderstanding him, they were hostile to him. They actually wanted to kill him. All right. And in John 12, verse 19, we read these words. The Pharisees said to one another, Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, there's an irony in this because obviously at that time, the whole world wasn't going after Jesus. But their words turned out to be prophetic because the very next group that we're going to look at are a group of Gentiles who were drawn to Jesus. And today, friends, whilst the whole world is not following Jesus, there are multitudes of people from every tribe and nation who are following after Jesus Christ. So kind of what they feared is coming to pass today and will continue to do so. Let's have a look at the Greeks, this group of Gentiles who were mentioned right towards the end of our passage. They were there to worship at the festival. They approached Philip. Philip and Andrew then approached Jesus. We don't know whether they actually got to meet Jesus. I like to think that they did. Okay, But there's an important reason why they were included in the story. When Jesus heard that the Greeks were looking for him, it prompted him to say these words in verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you look in the Gospels, there were other times where it would say that Jesus' hour or his time had not yet come. But when this happens, it prompts Jesus to say to recognize 
The hour has come. Not for the Son of Man to be crucified, but for the Son of Man to be glorified. And in the next verse, Jesus will talk about the significance of his death. As he, that seed, falls to the ground, it will release a great harvest, a multitude of Gentiles like these Greeks who will seek Jesus and be saved. Okay? One more point about these Greeks. I love the way the New Living Translation captures their question to Philip. It says this. It says, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. We want to meet Jesus. Okay? Friends, they weren't approaching Jesus to demand yet another sign. Okay? They didn't want to sort of spot him from a distance. Can we just have a look about 50, 100 meters away? We just want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. No, they wanted to meet Jesus. They wanted a face-to-face audience with the King of Kings. And that's really significant. We'll come back to it in just a few minutes' time. Finally, friends, we have Jesus. Okay? We've looked at everyone else, but let's not forget Jesus. There have been times in my Christian journey where I felt God called me to do something where there was an element of risk to it. Okay? But it's one thing doing something that's risky. There's a certain element of risk. It's another thing altogether doing something where you know that you're going to die. Okay? When Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem, he wasn't visiting a place where it'd be a bit risky for him. He was going into that city knowing with 100% certainty that he would suffer and die for you and my sake. Okay? I mean, I'm just blown away today again. I'm, I'm, I'm just standing in awe of the courage that it took for Jesus to do that. I'm humbled again by the love that he has for you and for me, that he would be motivated to do this. I'm, I'm just amazed again at the, the, just the courage of Jesus to, to be willing to do this, to bring glory to the Father. In uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 of the ESV, we read these words, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus set his face. He steeled himself for what would be required to make that journey to Jerusalem. I don't know about you, my friends, but we will be forever grateful for the fact that Jesus steeled himself like this, to be willing to suffer and die for our sake. Many in the crowds that day completely missed Jesus. They saw him, but they missed him. They didn't discern who he was. They didn't recognize why he was really there. And in Luke's gospel account, we read that as Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem, he actually wept over the city. He wept because the people were going to miss him. Okay? He also wept because Jesus would see what was coming, how the Romans would really, at a later stage, climb into the city. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jesus was the only person in the city that day who knew exactly what was going to happen. He wasn't distracted. He wasn't caught up in all the fanfare and the noise around him. He knew why he was there. And I love the way Meryl Tenney puts it. He says, He did not come as a conqueror, but as a messenger of peace. He rode on a donkey, not the steed of royalty, but that of a commoner on a business trip. John couples this entry with the prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9, who announced that the king of Israel would appear in humility without pomp or ceremony. Friends, Jesus came into that city in the most humble way. And uh, that should have been a clue to the people that he was, he was going to be a hero, but not according to their expectations. They were right in worshiping Jesus as a hero. They didn't just realize, though, how great a hero he was going to be. He would be the greatest hero of all time. That's Jesus. Let's have a look now and consider some of the application for us. Okay, Multitudes in Jerusalem on that day saw Jesus, but they didn't really see him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't fully discern who he was and why he was there. Okay, Many of them were looking through lenses that were colored by their own desires, their own expectations, and their own fears. Okay, They missed him. And so here's my question to all of us today. In that crowd... Who would you identify with? Okay, Which of those groups 
would you potentially identify with today? Now, give me some time. I want to explain that to you. And um, I'd like to begin with those who might be watching today who wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've never come to the place of calling on Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you're watching today, I'm so glad that you're doing so. Thank you for watching. So think about the people who were present that day. If you look at your journey through life, who would you most identify with? Perhaps you'd identify with the religious leaders, with those who are hostile towards Jesus. Maybe you haven't really liked Jesus. You haven't really liked the Christian faith. Perhaps there's been this sort of hostility, if you're honest, in your heart towards Jesus. Perhaps you're not in that place. Perhaps you're not hostile to Jesus. You're kind of okay with Him. But you've got a certain view of Jesus that you're happy with. So if you think on that day, in the crowds, many of them saw Jesus as a political messiah. And so maybe you're happy to see Jesus as a good man, as a good moral teacher, even a prophet, but you're not so comfortable with seeing him as the son of God or the savior of the world. Okay, perhaps you identify with that crowd, or perhaps you might even identify with the Roman soldiers, where if you're honest, you haven't been terribly impressed with Jesus and with Christian faith before, where you might look at your own life and think, you know, I think what I've got is a whole lot better than what Jesus has to offer. Okay. If you've walked one of those roads, this is what I hope and I pray today. I hope that something is stirring inside of you of that Greek heart, which is to want to meet with Jesus Christ. That even now there's something in you that just wants to have a face-to-face, as it were, audience with a king. The promise of Scripture is that all who seek will find him. And in just a moment, just right at the end, in a few minutes' time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. Okay? So, let's move on. And I'd like to speak to every single Christ follower who is watching here today, okay? And just say that even we can sometimes identify with some of those groups in the city of Jerusalem. Sometimes we can struggle with the same issues that they were struggling with. Let me illustrate again. Let's begin with the religious leaders. Now, what I'm not saying is that we are hostile towards Jesus. They were hostile to Jesus. You can't be a follower of Jesus and be hostile to him, okay? Obviously, that's off the table. But there's another thing about this group. You see, these were religious men. And the thing about religion is that often we can go through the motions, we can do good things, do our duties, but our hearts are far from God. This is the picture of where they were at. And my friend, perhaps you're in that place where you're going through the motions on your Christian journey, you're doing the right things, you're doing your duties, but your heart is far from God. I've been in that place. Even as a leader in the church, it's a dry awful place to be in. It really, really is. Okay, so perhaps you would identify with that today. Or you might identify with some of the soldiers, some of those Roman soldiers, which is a place of pride. Perhaps, if you're honest, you've been walking in a place of greater independence from God. So where you're trying to find your own way, you're looking more to yourself, your resources, what you can do, than relying on the Lord. Can I say in the face of this COVID-19 pandemic, that's probably less of a problem right now in the church, because I think we all recognize our desperate need for Jesus Christ. But maybe that describes your journey up to now, in recent times. Or you might witness a little bit more with the crowds and with Jesus' own disciples. Remember the crowds were happy to see Jesus as a political Messiah. And it seems some of his own disciples probably saw him as their ticket to greatness. Now, let me describe what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we mustn't look to Jesus and rely on him. Obviously not. Now more than ever, we must look to him as our healer, as our provider, as our protector, as our peace, everything. We must rely and look to Him. That's not, I'm not saying don't look to Him. And what we've got to be careful of is that sometimes, friends, we can approach Jesus 
with our sole focus being on our agenda, our sole focus being on what we want. There are times we can even see Jesus as just a means to an end. Okay, so what I'm describing here is a view of Jesus that's far too narrow. We're not seeing him in the fullness and splendor of all of his glory. And it's a place where actually my will is more important than his will necessarily over my life. You get the picture. I hope that you do today. So here's the thing. Regardless of whether you've been walking in a dry place, a place where your soul has been feeling pretty parched, regardless of whether you've been walking in a place of pride where you've been looking more to yourself than to the King of Kings, or if you've been in a place where it's actually been more about your will being done rather than His, if you've been in any one of those places, the response today is the same. Like those Greeks, we need to draw near to Jesus Christ. We need to see Jesus in the glorious fullness and splendor of who He is. Today, friends, if you're in a place of dryness, we need to draw near to the one who can pour out his spirit to refresh our dry souls. In humility, we need to draw near to the only one on whom we can depend and rely. And then finally, we also need to draw near to the one who knows better than what we do, what we most need, whose will is really the will that we want to have done over our lives. Friends, in a world that's just thrown into chaos and tumult now by this COVID-19 pandemic, now more than ever, we need to draw near to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We need a big picture, a full view of Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. And I want to say today, I am so glad, praise God, praise God, that we no longer need an Andrew or a Philip to set up a meeting for us. We can boldly approach his throne of grace with confidence. So join me today. Come on, let's draw near to Jesus. And through Jesus, let's draw near to our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. I wonder if you just pray this with me. If you are a follower of Jesus today, just say, Jesus Christ, I want to see you today. It's so sad, Lord, that on that day, as so many hailed you as King, Lord, they didn't really see you. They didn't really recognize and discern who you are. And today, Lord, I thank you that because of your spirit in me, I can see you. I can see you, Lord, and recognize you and worship you in the fullness of who you are. Fill my gaze today, Jesus. Even now, Jesus, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would refresh my dry soul. Pour out your spirits. Refresh me today, Lord. Thank you for your rivers of life just flowing within me once again. Lord, today I humble myself to recognize that there's no one else, especially in this season, there's no one else on whom I can depend but you, Jesus. And even now, Jesus, I approach you to lay aside my own agendas and to say your will be done over my life, Lord. Your will be done. You know best. I want your will done. Jesus, would you fill my gaze today? Even I fill my gaze, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. King Jesus, I hail you today as my true King and Lord, as my Savior, as my everything. I worship you, Lord. And I want to pray for you today. If you are not a follower of Jesus, or perhaps you've walked with Him, but you, you feel like you've really wandered away, you've drifted away from the King, I want to pray for you today as well. Would you join me in praying this and saying, Jesus Christ, today I want to see you. Today I want to know you. I ask you to forgive me for all of the sins that I've committed. Today I receive full forgiveness from you. All of my guilt and my shame removed. And today I call on your name, Jesus Christ, to save me. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm a child of God and that I will follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. I pray that you would reveal yourself to me now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and open your Bible, your living word to me, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you pray that prayer, we'd love to know. We'd love for you to tell somebody else. It's so important that 
you walk this journey with other Christians in a church. All right. Thank you so much. Now, before you go again, we'd love to do something similar to what we did last week. We'd love to have some coffee and tea together. So you can uh, stay with us on Facebook. You can put up some comments, any prayer requests, etc. We'd love to engage and interact a little bit like that. But again, we would like to create the opportunity for giving. And uh, we know that. Uh, thank you so much again for all the money that has come in through uh, EFT transfers. We know people have already given. But perhaps if you've given or if you're about to give, I wonder if you'd join me as we pray right now. And just to pray around this together. This week I've been working through a reading plan on the Lord's Prayer. And just when we pray, we say to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Friends, so often we, we just take our daily bread for granted, don't we? We take for granted these things that are essentials, that are staples in our lives. We probably, in a time now where I think we're more grateful for some of those things we so often take for granted. But we recognize that our Father is a good provider in the good things and even the small things to the very big and the large things. He is our provider. And today, Lord, we just declare that you're our source. We declare that our confidence and our hope is in you. Even in this time we find ourselves in, Lord, we declare that you're the one in whom we trust. And we thank you today that you give to us, Lord, and you enable us to be able to give back to you and to be generous towards others around us. And today, Lord, it's with joy in our hearts that we offer up our tithes and our offerings, those we've already given, those we're about to give. We say, Lord, this is an expression of our worship to you. Thank you, Lord, for your favor, your goodness, your kindness to us, your faithfulness over our lives, your protection over us. Today, Lord, we give to you in worship, Lord, and with cheerful hearts. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do now is on the screen, we will have a QR code that you can scan and also our bank details if you would like to give. But once again, thank you so much for joining us. It's the Easter weekend. Next weekend, we've got some exciting things and just exciting times. It's going to be very different. We can't obviously gather together, but we're going to gather together um, online. And so we'll keep you posted about what's going to happen. But have a great Sunday further. God bless you. May God bless you with great health. Keep you strong and healthy and well. And uh, his protection and his favor over you. And um, stay for some tea and coffee over Facebook. God bless you. Thank you.